Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to start off like we did last Sunday with one of the, the prayers that Paul um, prayed for a church. I want to look at the uh, letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. And as we did then, I want to read it, and then I want to try to pray this and pray this for this church and for you and for me. Sometimes my prayers get, I'll say, in a rut where I'm kind of saying the same thing and it gets a little robotic. Um, so going to Scripture and looking at the prayers that are in there, it's, it's, a, it's a good models to use when you need to break out of those kind of ruts that we can get into. So it's been a blessing to me. So this is the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. So our prayer this morning would be that, that Fairhaven Church, each of our members and our visitors, it's good to have you all, um, that your love, one for another and towards Christ, most importantly, would grow. It's saying you've got some already, but abound yet more. That your love would grow, that your knowledge would grow, that your judgment would grow. Judgment, that's... That's, that's wisdom, that's discernment, that's application. It's one thing to have a lot of head knowledge, but if you can't apply it to your life and to the situations you're in, you need wisdom and judgment. So grow in love, grow in knowledge, grow in judgment. Why? That you can approve things that are excellent. That you have the ability to discern, to see, to distinguish the difference between things that are, one, bad... Another verse is okay, good, but truly to see the excellent. My wife's prayer request is that she be able to do the more needful things. Well, we have to be able to recognize what is the more needful thing. And when we are immature in our walk, it's often harder for us to distinguish that. So if we're growing in love and knowledge and wisdom, we can see and discern the things that are excellent so that we may be sincere and without offense Till the day of Christ. That's that's a long time. Maybe. Maybe it's this afternoon. This is not something we put off. But as long as we're alive, or until He comes back, this is what we're to be doing. We're not going to reach it. It's not a, a pinnacle of, okay, I have now reached... I've got it. <laughs> nope. There's room to grow. Room to grow. Be sincere and without offense... What will that look like? We'll be filled. Be filled with the fruits of righteousness. You'll read the letter to Galatians to get more information on the fruits of righteousness. But you're going to be filled with them. Now whether filled in your life is 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold, I don't know. But we're to desire to be filled with them. Which are by Jesus Christ. Do they come from you? Nope. Come from Him. 
which is why it's under the glory and praise of God. And so all this comes back to glory of God. So my prayer for you and me this morning is that we'll grow. That we'll grow in love, knowledge, and wisdom or judgment. That we'll be able to discern the excellent things to live sincerely. It's not not depliciously, not with a, a double mind, not where we're putting on a show. But what we say in here is the same thing that we say and do out there. To be sincere and without offense, not causing stumbling for others. It is a real stumbling block to people, baby Christians in particular, to see someone who professes to be a follower of God and they can hear one thing talking in the pew, but when they see you out in the world and you're doing something very different, we're causing offense. We are causing a young one to stumble. Be sincere and without offense and be filled with the fruits of righteousness which come from God. So when you're filled with them, praise God! Don't pat yourself on the back. It's not for your glory. You're just His, you know, a laborer in His vineyard. You don't own it. You don't own the fruit. It all belongs to Him. It's for His account. Let's try to pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to come to this uh, local assembly, Lord, to this body, Lord, to one of the bodies of Jesus Christ, Lord, to come and try to lift praises up to Your name. Lord, thank You for for being with us thus far in our prayer service. Thank You for being with us in our song service. Thank You for giving us these songs of Zion that we can try to sing praises to Your name. Lord, we know that our efforts are feeble, but Lord, we look forward to being able to praise You perfectly, to praise us, praise You as we ought. What a, what a beautiful thought when we're free from sin and corruption and death. Lord, what a, what a beautiful thing to think on. Lord, now as we come before um, your word, I pray that you would give us open minds and ready hearts, ready to receive your word. I pray that you would bless us. Lord, bless us to grow. Bless us to grow in love, true love, not the love of this world, but the love that honors you. To grow in love, to grow in knowledge, not just the world's knowledge, but to grow in your knowledge, knowledge of you, and know more about you as you revealed yourself in your word. And Lord, that we would grow in judgment and discernment, and that we would be able to take what you've given us, and to apply it in love and with that knowledge and to be able to apply it faithfully and that we'll be able to see the things that are more excellent in this world, the things that you have given us to do. Lord, as we pray for your guidance, that's what we desire, that you would allow us to see the excellent things that would glorify you and that we would be able to be sincere and without offense, Lord, that we would be faithful servants to you and that you would fill us with all the fruits of righteousness, that we may glorify you. Lord, help us to glorify you in all that we do. Please be with the rest of this time. Be with all those who cannot be here because of physical afflictions. Be with Brother Richard as he recovers from surgery. And please bless Sister Juanita that she'll be able to get out of the hospital soon and to get to feeling better. And Lord, be with the loved ones that care for them. Be with all those who are going to be traveling on the road soon and just put a hedge of protection around them. But Lord, most of all, help us now as we try to worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, I'll ask you to turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. That's right. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first few verses. I'll just start back at the beginning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is God's servant. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a big theme of the men's conference this weekend was, Who is your master? Who do you serve? Who has the authority over you? And if your answer is me, myself, I, okay, rebel, you're in the air. 
You were bought with a price. You were not your own. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were subject to His authority. If you are seeking His will, you'll seek to see what did He say that He desires. Okay? And that comes in the form of His written Word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So He has written to um, natural Jews. However, they are also believers. Right? So Jewish Christians. Twelve, uh, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse or various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So a couple weeks ago we looked at those verses and how that we are able, even in the midst of great trials and afflictions and persecutions, still count it, like in our buckets, you know, counting buckets over here, that we can count this as joy, as a good thing, as something to rejoice in, because the Lord can use that to try our faith and to produce patience within us, that we have the ability to cheerfully endure, right? That we'll become more mature. That's what perfect means, to come to maturity, to be entire or complete, wanting nothing, all right? So I won't revisit that anymore, but it gets me down to verse 5, because our context there starts off with trials and affliction, which leads into verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, tossed with the wind, with, driven with the wind, and tossed. Excuse me. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Those are the verses we're going to try to examine this morning. So let's start with that first word, if. If any of you lack wisdom. How many here thinks they've got enough wisdom? If anybody had raised their hand, we'd have a problem. <laughs> right? We all lack wisdom. Now in our context here, it starts off with dealing with trials and temptations, and often we get in those trials, and that's when we see that we lack wisdom. When things are going along pretty well, we can kind of convince ourselves, I, I kind of got it. You know, things are rocking along, nothing's sinking, um, nothing's blown up lately, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good, right? But the Lord will send those trials and temptations, and whether those are external, things you didn't have any control about and you got to react to, or whether those are the internal temptations that you, of your own lust, put yourself into, right? Those are when the Lord tends to teach us that we lack wisdom. So if any lack wisdom. Now, there's, there's certainly a, a situation where some can think they don't lack wisdom. And that's, that's discussed over in 1 Corinthians, and so we'll examine that for just a little bit. More as a precautionary note. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is, this is a context of, of having the liberty to eat things that are offered unto idols, right? They knew that idols are nothing, and they knew that it didn't hurt them. That's the knowledge base. But just because they knew that doesn't mean that it was the best thing to do. You can read that whole chapter for the full context, but that's, that's what's jumping into. Chapter 8, verse 1. 
Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Why is it do you think that Paul in the Philippian letter didn't just pray for knowledge? He prayed for knowledge and love. Love first, right? Love, knowledge, and judgment. If we have just knowledge, what is our what is our reaction? What does it say? Knowledge puffeth up. That, you get arrogant. You get proud. You feel like, I've got it. You ever been around someone who's got multiple PhDs? It's kind of hard to talk to them most of the time. Because they're pretty confident about everything they know. Brothers and sisters, as we grow in knowledge, it has to be tempered with love. Knowledge by itself, it's good to grow in knowledge. But if you've just got knowledge, it will be a hindrance to your use in the kingdom. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Edifieth. My kids, you remember what edifieth means? It means to build up. Okay. So when I've got a lot of knowledge and I'm just puffed up in it, I use that to show off. Look how great I am, right? But when I have charity, if I have love, then I become one who is building up others. We have to build up each others, each other, right? That's why there's so many admonitions about the, the older sisters teaching the younger sisters and the old men being an example and teaching the younger men. That, that's part of our role as a mutual bodies of Christ that we have gifts given to each other that we have to use for the benefit of the whole. And if, you know, you've got one member, so you've got a finger, who's like, man, I've got, I'm the best finger at all. And the rest of y'all, ears and noses, y'all are terrible. You're not a finger, you can't, right? But when he's put in use of action, and he's making things better, and in building up the others and making them stronger, he does that. Why? Charity. Because he loves the body. Hmm? Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet. As he ought to know. So, if you ever, boys and girls, get to the point where you know it, I got it, congratulations, you do not. There's only one who knows it all. That's God Himself. We don't. Okay? But if any man love God, the same is known of Him. All right? that's, our, that's our desire. Love God. We'll be known of him. And we will reflect that love in how we treat uh, others. All right? Similar concept over a couple chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses. Uh, say that. 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Uh, now these happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. Now this is going back and looking at uh, natural Israel, and they're coming out of the Red Sea, and I won't. Just for the sake of time, I won't come into that. Read the whole chapter. Got questions? Come talk to me. All that had come before in verses 1 through 10, it was an example written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are to come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. One who thinks that he's got it all figured out, who thinks he's in the strong. It's, it's a cautionary note. The, the danger is when you and I start thinking that we've got it, in our own mind, in our own strength, there's a fall that's about to happen. The Lord's going to humble us, and He's going to show us how much we need Him. 
Um, go back over Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 7. You're going to get the admonition to trust in the Lord and to lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to flip it and I'm going to read so we get just the exact language. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Everything about you should be putting it in trust in the Lord. Rather than what we so often do, lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge that He is Lord, that He is Master, that He has the knowledge, He has the wisdom. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be wise, be not wise, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. All this focus is not on self. That when we start getting that kind of me-centric attitude, that's when we're off base. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. Right? The world says the exact opposite. He says, well, do what your heart wants. Follow your heart. Right? That's what the world will teach you. They don't, you know, understand that, you know, as Jeremiah revealed over in 17.9, that the heart is deceitful. Our carnal, natural heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's Jeremiah 17 and 9. I'm going to flip there just for the sake of reading exactly what Scripture says. The heart is deceitful, just a little bit. It says, above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? As in, what man can know it? The very next verse says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to ev- and give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You cannot know your own heart. It can trick you and deceive you. Right? So don't, don't place your faith and your stock and your wisdom and your guidance in yourself. Right? If any lack wisdom, let them ask of the Lord, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. Wisdom, love, knowledge. Right? The same concept is illustrated again in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13 in the, in the love chapter, right? You hear this in weddings a lot. What's love, right? How does What they don't tend to speak about is the first couple of verses in that chapter. They just jump into charity is. Well, chapter 13 is that though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I have become as sounding brass or as a tinkling cymbal. What does that mean? It means if I am the best preacher in the world, just absolutely the best, if I don't have charity, I might as well be up here banging a gong or hitting a little triangle for all the good it would do you. Without charity, it completely wipes it away. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What? The world says, no, you need, you just go ahead, get, get all that knowledge. Right? Now, even if I have it all, if I don't have charity, I'm nothing. Alright? So, we've got to have the charity go with the wisdom, go with the knowledge. Um, if you see over in Ephesians, probably know where I'm going with this. Ephesians chapter 
4 and verse 15, we have an admonition in here of speaking the truth. In what? In love. But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Part of the role of the church is individual members. You are to be edifying one another by speaking the truth to one another, whether that's proactively in teaching or whether that's in gentle correction and admonishing. But all of that is tempered with love. Not to beat somebody over the head, but because you desire the best interests of the body and for the individual member of the body that they would grow. Okay? So we all have to grow. We all have to learn how to teach. We all have to learn how to be taught. Right? Sometimes it's easier for us to be a teacher. You see someone who's really far, I don't want to use far down, but who is very young in their walk. And there's a lot of areas in their life that are plain for you to see if this is someplace they can grow. In that environment, you may be comfortable telling them about it. Right? You better, better grow in the love before you open your mouth. But that same person who's comfortable about doing that often is not as comfortable about having that older sister or brother come to them and do some teaching, right? What will hinder us to being taught? Pride. I've already got it figured out. I, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know my experience. Guess what? Your experience doesn't matter near as much as what the Scripture says of how do we handle it right versus how have you handled it in the past. You want to think of an example about how we ought to approach teaching someone who is very young in their walk and and I say that in young there are areas in all of all walks where we are very young right there are areas where we can be more mature it's not just a you're young and you don't have any growth anywhere but there are spots where we've all got blind spots right and so here's what I want you this is the the image I want you to kind of have wrap around or or put in your head is, is how I want you to teach one another say you've got a kindergartner who is learning to read, right? And you've got a sweet kindergarten teacher, right? Now, does that kindergarten teacher come over, you know, lay down great expectations, say, here it is, read it. What do you mean you can't read it? Do it! It's right there! Come on, can't do it! What's wrong with you? Right? You, If that was your child and you had that conference with the teacher and you found that that was how your child was being taught, you might have a coronary, right? But how often do we expect that of each other, right? We're to teach in love, right? Y'all go read that love chapter. There's like three different descriptions in there for patience, right? Being long-suffering, forbearing one another, right? Patiently kindly, gently, meekly, all the ways that Jesus taught. Right? He spoke very, very softly to his sheep. Now he had, he had harsh and direct words, but you know who they were for? The Pharisees, the, the ones who didn't think they had a problem, the ones who already knew it all, he would speak very hard and sternly to them. But to his little sheep, 
he was very gentle. He was very patient. Okay? And so, the same way that you know that with that little kindergarten, it's going to take time. It's going to take practice. It's going to take labor. And, you know, that admonition about not being weary and well-doing, what's implied in there is it's going to take repetition. Right? If you could just do it once and be done, there'd be no need for that. Do it well, and then be done. No. It's an over and over and over. Building up. Y'all ever built anything? You know? Does it happen immediately? No. Right? Any construction project inevitably is going to go over time. Right? It's going to take too long. It's going to take longer than you planned. It's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be hindrances. You're going to run out of materials. All those little things that just in natural construction... Why do you think the Lord uses that, the illustration of edify? Build up. Right? It is a long, gradual process. You have to be diligent about it. And often, it takes the longest to do the foundation. I want you to think about the pyramids, right? That first layer, it's huge. <coughs> How discouraging when if you're standing at eye level, you can see the first row, but all those things back, you can't even see, and you're like, we're not getting anywhere. Pharaoh said, this has to be 40 stories tall, and we, we aren't even off the first one. And so laying that foundation, that first layer, you've got to be diligent about it. You have to be patient. You'd be tempted to give up. Don't. <laughs> Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in building up not only yourself as you're trying to serve the Lord, but building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? All right? So let's go back to our text. We're in James. All right? So we started with if. That's where we're at. If. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth him not, and it shall be given him. Now, God here, one word, we're learning that we can go to him and ask. That's true. But another, we're learning how he responds to us. We ask and he gives liberally and upbraideth not. How often do we respond that way when someone comes and asks of us? Now, I know as parents, I fail to be patient um, when I'm asked something that I've already said once. Maybe I've already said it twice. I may blow a head gasket pretty soon. I, I, I need to control my anger. I know that. That's, that's wrong. I don't like repeating myself. My carnal man hates repeating myself. But that's not the pattern that we have in our Father, where we go and ask Him for something. Ask Him. He doesn't upbraid us. He does not beat us down. Of Well, Jonathan, you dummy, I already told you that several times. It's in the book. Did you look at the book? Right? That's not His response to us. But how often do we respond that way both to children and to those around us not having that patience not having that long suffering of knowing that ultimately the growth of the others around us we have no control over that you know Paulus uh, or Paul 
planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I'm talking about the church at Corinth there. He gets all the credit and glory for anybody's growth, but you're still tasked with tending his vineyard and laboring dutifully. All right, so how does God respond? When we go and ask, he responds in love. He doesn't lose patience with us. He doesn't lose patience with us. He doesn't chew us out because we're ignorant. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't chew you out for being ignorant? But no, you've got a heavenly Father that gives and gives liberally. Now, sometimes in our country we don't like that word. <laughs> it's got some negative associations. It's been kind of liberally. And this this content what we're talking about here is, is abundantly, without measure, without restraint. All right? You go ask Grandpa. My father he carries a tube of many M and M's. Does he give out many M and M's liberally? No. He's got twenty grandkids. Each kid gets two. Many M&M's. A tube can last like a year. That would not be liberally. But you go to your Heavenly Father and you ask Him for them. It's like He pulls out the whole tube and then gets another and then gets another and then gets another. Right? Liberally. Of the things that He desires for you. The things that are good. Every good and perfect gift cometh out from the Father of love and who there is no shadow of turning nor variableness. Right? The good things come from God. He gives you what's good. It may not be exactly what you asked for because guess what? You don't know what's good. You don't have the knowledge and love and discernment to be able to see what's the more excellent thing. But guess what? He's got all that and He gives you what you need. Liberally. And doesn't upbraid you when you ask. Okay? Now we know that God gives liberally. You know how I know? We call it, theologians call it common grace, but He gives blessings to everybody in creation. His children and not. You know what they are? Examples? The Son. It rises every day. It's His sustaining grace. He set up the world and He sustains it. It comes up and you don't freeze to death because of that grace. He sends rain, both on the righteous and the wicked. And so you don't starve to death because you don't have rain. You ain't going to have grain. You're not going to have bread. You're not going to have anything. And so He feeds the world and all that's in there. That is a grace that He gives. That's, that is a liberal blessing. Right? That's everybody. That's not restrained, right? But what do we know that He gives to His children? The ones that He chose before the foundation of the world, the elect, the ones that He chose in particular, what does He give? What did He give? He gave the best thing ever. He gave His Son. He gave the best thing that could be given is that He took His precious Son, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, sent Him into this world to be a substitute to pay for your sin and your sin and your sin and every single sins of all of his children at one time he which knew no sin became sin on your behalf you cannot have a more liberal blessing so if he's given you the best why are you afraid to come and ask for something that's that's much smaller lord i lack wisdom of what to do in this trial lord i don't know what to do here i'm in sorrow i'm in affliction i'm in pain He's already given you the best thing that can be given. And so one, hold that in perspective because all the trials of this world are going to be seen as nothing to when that first time you open your eyes in glory. It will all be just infinitesimally small. Hold that. But He's already given you the best, so why would He not give you what you need now? He gives liberally. So go unto Him and ask. How do you ask? Well, obviously the most ways direct is prayer. You go in prayer. You go and commune with your Heavenly Father. He has opened up that veil by the path of Jesus Christ, by His body, and given you access into His throne room directly, and He makes time for you 
Every time you go to him, he makes time for you. I used this illustration before. You try to reach out to the president and have a word with him, or the governor, or whoever. Y'all got clout enough to be have five minutes? I don't. How about the mayor? I'll tell the mayor. Maybe I get an appointment. Maybe in two or three weeks I can sit down for 30 minutes and share. Anytime you want, you can go to God of all the universe, the creator God who loves you so much that he sent his son. You have the ability to go to him. And yet, don't we count it as a cheap thing? It's like a throwaway flip phone. We'll toss it in the drawer over there and forget about it until things get bad. Oh, I better go check on that and see if I can't get a line. Instead of it being a precious, precious gift. So go and ask him. Go and ask him directly. And also go and ask him directly through his word. I want to know what the will of God is. It's not some mystery. The revealed will of God is right here. He gave it to you. The Bible is the revelation of God. It's what he chose to reveal about himself to you. Right? He's not trying to hide the ball. You'll ever have some really fun professors or teachers who it's like they just enjoyed hiding the ball where it's just like, a, come on, don't you figure it out? Come on, come on, come on. And it's like it was a game to them of watching you squirm and not knowing what, what they wanted. God's not like that. This is him revealing himself to you because he wants you to know it. So go and inquire. Inquire directly through prayer. Go inquire through His Word. And while you're doing that, go ahead and be praying that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and teach you. Because what's the best teacher of the Word? It's the Holy Spirit Himself. It's not me. If the Lord doesn't intervene, and every time I come before and apply the Holy Spirit to where it can go in and teach you, we're in trouble. If I'm up here by myself, I know when I've been up here by myself, it's a very lonely and scary time. And it feels like time passes very slowly. It probably feels like it even passes slower for y'all. Right? That's miserable. So pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and teach you from His Word. Okay? The next verse has a but, right? It giveth to all men liberally, and it prayeth not, and it shall be given him. But. Whenever we see a but, kids, we need to go back and read what happened before because it's referencing that. Right? We need to know what it's saying. So there's a, there's, a, there's a caveat. There's some additional information we need. Lack wisdom, ask of God. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And upbraideth means he doesn't you know, jump down your throat because you're asking. And it shall be given him. Wisdom shall be given him, but. Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. All right, Asking in faith. Sometimes we get kind of, I don't know, confused or seem like that's some kind of mystical or hard thing to wrap our head around. What are we asking in faith? What does that mean? Faith in what? Belief in what? What are you persuaded of? Well, if I'm going to God to ask for wisdom, one, I have to be persuaded that He has wisdom. That He has wisdom. You may, that, that may seem just so obvious to you. That may seem obvious to you, but... You've got to have faith that God's got more wisdom than you are because you're not going to ask. You don't, you don't go to someone who knows less than you for information, right? You know, as an attorney, you want to bring in an expert witness, someone who I can say, all right, tell me about this thing. I don't really understand it, but you tell me and I'm going to rely on you. Well, I don't go to you know, the mechanic to ask for the vet expert, whatever. You, know, insert. you go to the one who's in the field 
You don't go to someone you know has less information for you. That's, that's a poor choice of experts, right? But when you're going to ask God, guess what? He's got more wisdom than you. You've got to believe that. You're not going to someone who knows less, right? His ways and thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's in Isaiah 55, right? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Okay, I'm just going to flip that and read it. 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He does not have the same level of thoughts as man. Neither are your ways my ways. The way we go about doing things are not the same as God's. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, right? This is a simile, right, Elliot? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, right? This is not just a little bit of a scale. It's not, okay, you're down here on the limbo pole, and I'm up here. It's like, our thoughts are well, basically dust level, and he's beyond the stars. That's how much higher his thoughts and his ways of doing things are than us. So he has, when you go to him and you're asking for wisdom, have faith that he has wisdom. Okay? He has all of it. That's right. We have examples explicitly in the Old Testament that show when he gives that wisdom. We, we read those recently, right, boys, over in Exodus. When Moses was getting the pattern from the ark, not only did he, um, and all the other instruments of the, the tabernacle, he was given what to build. What did God also say? Who was going to build it? Right? Two specific men. Right? Do you remember the description he gave for those men? Uh, 31, 2 in Exodus. See, I have called by the name uh, Baaziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. He had put the wisdom in him. God had it and he put it in the man so he could use it in his service. Right? And same thing say about the other man. What's another man that we know that asked for wisdom and got it? Right? King Solomon. Right? God appeared to him in a vision and asked, What do you want? And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies. He didn't ask for power. He said, Lord, I don't know how to go out and come in before your people. I've got all these people that I've got to judge and discern with. Lord, give me wisdom that I can faithfully judge them. And God gave it to him. He gave him that wisdom. That's in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 12. You don't have to flip there for today, but go read it on your own. All right? Now, did they take that wisdom and then use it for their own means? Solomon kind of did, and he got off track on that. But are we given wisdom to serve ourselves? No! And we can say that's obvious. But how often are we asking for wisdom because we want to serve ourselves? Right? A lot, right? Rather than I want wisdom so that I can serve God, the one who bought me with his blood, the one who is my master. Right? So if I'm asking in faith, I'm asking that, you know, acknowledging that God has the wisdom. I know that he gives it, gives it liberally. What else do I need as I'm asking in faith? I believe he's got it. I believe he gives it to people. How about I need to ask in faith that I actually want it? That I actually want God's wisdom and not just some insight into how I can further my own plans that I've already devised. How often do we want that wisdom? I've already figured out what I want to do. God, just show me how to get there. Instead of, God, I'm submissive to your will. I want to do what glorifies you. Show me how to do that. 
That's a very different type of wisdom, right? A good example of that would be our old buddy Balaam. Remember Balaam, Patrick? Right? He had the talking donkey, right? Well, before he got on the talking donkey, Balak, king of Moab, sees his massive army part marching through. They've already whooped two kings, and he's a little distressed by this, and so he's like, I'm going to... I want to get the advantage on these guys. I'm going to hire me someone to curse them. I need a soothsayer. All right, I heard Balaam. He's a good one. Y'all send some dudes, take some money down there. Y'all say him, come up here, and you need to curse them. Right? Now, the first thing Balaam says is he gives some lip service about, I'll ask God if it's okay if I can go. Right? And God tells him, no. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, fellas. Even if you gave me all this money, I couldn't go with you. And so they go home, and you know what they do? They send back some more noble folks, right? They sent some lower-level guys. Now they sent some higher ones and you know, made bigger, bigger promises to them. Now God had already given him the answer. What does Balaam do? He goes and asks God again. Why? Because he wants to do it. In Peter and in Jude, it would say that he wanted the wages of unrighteousness. That's what he was pursuing. He wanted to do it. That's why he went to God, even though God had already made it clear it wasn't supposed to. Right? And so he went. He went his own way. And uh, you know what? He got there. The Lord taught him a lesson using the donkey of, if you don't say exactly what I say, I'm going to wipe you out. Right? And so he goes, and he does faithfully deliver the message. But as he goes, he's trying. He's saying, all right, Balak, I can only say what the Lord says, but you know, give me some sacrifices. We'll do that here, and I'll give it a go. Right? He goes to God, hoping that he can curse them, but each time he has to bless them three times. Well, Two times he does that. You know what he does in the first time, third time? He doesn't even ask God. He just kind of sits there pouting, and God sends him a vision anyway. Now, I don't know exactly what methods he used to, to reach God, but there's some kind of divinations and process that he would use to try to have these visions. He didn't do any of that. His eyes were awake on that third one. God came to him and said, you're going to bless them. Right? And he was really upset about that because he's losing his weight. The king was going to promote him to glory and honor and riches. He was going to have everything he wanted. And God prevented him from having it. Man, he was grumpy. Right? And it, not in that scene, but we find out elsewhere that he still found a way to stick it to him. That he wanted, he gave Balak the key to causing that nation to be cursed. I can't curse them, but you can cause them to have trouble come upon them because they cursed themselves. And that was through fornication. He said, you take your pretty ladies down there and you go have them seduce. And, and like the princess, I mean, this was high level folks. This was, I mean, these were pretty ladies being sent down to that nation and they're seducing the men and they're engaging in all manner of filth and they led them to idolatry. And God wound up punishing them. But you know whose idea that was? Balaam's. So this was a good example of when you're acquiring to God, God but you want your own way. And even when you're shown that it ain't God's way, you keep going after it. Know what happened to Balaam? He got killed. Into the wages of sin is death. Right? So, let him ask. Let him ask in faith, believing that God has it, believing that he'll give it, that he wants me to have it, and that I want it. Right? Let him ask in faith. What's the last clause there in that? Nothing wavering. Not vacillating, not oscillating, not shaking back and forth. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like what? So we get another simile here, Elliot, or teaching and illustration. Someone who's wavering 
in their mind as they're asking God for things. He says he's like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. Right? Ever try to build a foundation on top of an ocean? It would be a touch difficult. Right? These winds, they're not in control. Right? The wind is, is, is blowing these waves. The waves are not in control. The wind is blowing them and tossing them. It says, let not that man who's wavering and being tossed like a wave think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what would be some examples of this? This would be coming and thinking, God doesn't have the wisdom I need. Right? We're asking in faith. Well, this is an example of not in faith. If God doesn't have the wisdom I need, He doesn't know what's really best for me. Ooh. Right? That's when you're saying, God, I got this. You just kind of open that door and I'll go through it. I know what I need. I just don't know how to get there. As opposed to, Lord, You know what I need. Show me what I need. Show me how I can serve You. Right? How about how about God doesn't love me enough to give this to me? Ooh, y'all ever you ever beat yourself down? You know what a sinner you are. Your sins have been revealed to you, and you see them clearly, and you think I can't even go to him because he he won't. He won't even answer it. I'm not worthy of being answered. Brothers and sisters, if you are worthy for him to send his son to die for you, you're worthy to come before because of his son to ask for the things that you need now. He's worthy. Because He's worthy, you're worthy. He died in your stead. He paid apart those sins. Don't pretend that you're a more righteous judge than God and beat yourself over things that He's already paid for. Your false guilt does not glorify God. Do not use, I'm not worthy, I know what I've done, as an excuse not to serve Him now. Because they've already been paid for. They've already been put away. And His righteousness has been imputed unto you. So that when you go, Satan has nothing to accuse you with. And the end of that result is, I'm owned a child. I am His child. Or more, more accurately saying, that one's mine. Jesus sitting on the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf, it, that one's mine. Satan, you cannot lay a claim to Him. You cannot accuse Him. You've got nothing to charge Him with. It's all already been paid. Nothing wavering. So that could be some examples not coming to faith. God doesn't have the wisdom, because I already know what's best. Or God doesn't love me enough. And these are all tricks of Satan, right? To, to trip you up. Satan's a defeated foe. All he can really do is irritate you and discourage you. Right? He cannot defeat you. He can't overthrow you. He can knock you off base. Yeah, all right. So what's another one? And here's one that really we need to give pause about is I'm asking, but really I'm just checking a box. Because I want to be able to say to whoever asks me, well, I prayed about it. And I'm going to do whatever I was planning on do before I went to the Lord. Guess what, guys? That's not really praying. That's not going and inquiring of the Lord's will. That's going and telling the Lord your will. That's not asking for wisdom for a situation. That's just just checking a box. That's not asking in faith. And so that that image that we have is that when we're doing that, we're like that wave in the sea. We're going to be knocked around. We're going to be buffeted. We're going to be pushed by all manner of outside forces because we're not stable. And there are great dangers 
in being unstable. Instability. There are many, many. We won't have time to hit them all this morning. I won't even try, but there are many dangers in being unstable in our faith. Second Peter chapter 2. This context is warning against false teachers. There's going to be false teachers. He said there's false prophets back in the day. There's going to be false teachers now. There's false teachers now. And there will be until Christ comes back and cleans it all up. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. All right, that's what we're talking about, right? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The Lord knows how to deliver you out of those and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. You've got the elect and the unelect, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lusts of uncleanness and despise government. This is talking about chiefly the ones who are going to be reserved for punishment are those false teachers who are teaching these things that are leading people astray. And as describes it, says they're presumptuous. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. That means powers and authority. Even if you disagree with what powers and authority are doing, you still have to speak respectfully of them. We're subject unto them. The powers that be are there because God allowed them to be there. It says, an example says, whereas angels which are greater in power and might, right? Angels have more power, more might than us. They bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. And over in Jude, it would describe it as the archangel Michael disputing over the body of Moses with the Satan himself. He didn't get up in arms and start lambasting the devil, right? He could have, right? He could have, but the the pattern that we're given is rather, he said, the Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. You leave it in the Lord's hands. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's his job. Okay, so that's what these false teachers are doing, but these as natural beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And they shall receive the reward of their unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Riots, partying, right? That normally the things that are wrong, that they do it in the nighttime. These guys are like, so open about it, we're just going to do it in the daytime. They think it's a pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they, blemishes, sporting themselves of their own deceivings when they feast with you. And that's, that's dangerous when they feast with you. That's, that's talking about having communion. When they have found their way into the church. That there are spots in your feasts. Having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. Here's the one I wanted. All this for this. Beguiling unstable souls. Beguiling. These false teachers can trick and deceive and lead astray unstable souls. Unstable individuals. When you are unstable, you are a target. Susceptible to being deceived by false teachers. Um, later in the same book, in 2 Peter 3 and 16, um, it's talking about Paul's epistles. It's acknowledging that some of them are hard to read. It says, also in his epistles, speaking in them of things which in, uh, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. And that rest is not the repose, it's a W. Rest is in like... You know, where we get the word wrestle from, but it's to twist, to um, wrench, to torture the Scriptures. Y'all ever know anybody who's just tortured the Scriptures because they have a point to make, whether it's in there or not, but if they twist it enough and you can kind of see it, right? He's saying that's what the unstable and unlearned are doing. So do we need to grow in knowledge? Yes. 
Do we need to grow in love? Yes. Do we need to grow in wisdom? Why? So we can stand fast for the Word and not be defeated or thrown off. Not defeated. They can't defeat you. But not to be discouraged. To not to be led down a wrong path by these false, false teachers. We must be stable. Right? Ephesians 3.17 to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. Right? That's a very stable, permanent position. Right? Rooted and grounded. Y'all know any trees that get up and walk away real? It takes a big old hurricane to uproot a tree, right? We need to be rooted and grounded as opposed to that wave or just the littlest breeze. And it's gone. Right? Um, let's read a little bit over more in, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll get my fingers to get me back to it. You know, I pulled verse 15 just kind of out of context. Speaking the truth in love, and they grow up unto him in all things, his head, even Christ. Well, what came before that? It came that Jesus ascended up on high and gave gifts unto men. It describes the men, the, the gifts. Some are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. Does that mean you're going to be perfect in this world? No. It means the maturing to make you complete for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the building up of Christ. The gifts were given unto men to build up the church. To make his followers more mature. Right? That we, till, till we all come in unity of the faith. When will that happen? When are we all going to have the same unity and the same faith at the same level? We're going to be looking with Christ. We're going to be looking at him. Right? He's going to be coming back or we're going to be in heaven waiting for the rest of you. But when all of us come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Under the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. So why are we growing? Verse 14. That we henceforth, that going forward, that we henceforth be no more children, babes in Christ, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Right? That's the same image of that wave, that wave that's tossed to and fro and it's carried about, that a slight bit of false teaching. You're not prepared for it because you're still emotionally, not emotionally, but spiritually Immature, you have not grown in knowledge, you have not grown in wisdom, and you have not grown in love sufficiently to be able to withstand that. By the slight of men, y'all ever seen a street performer, magician, right? They've got slights with their hands. You're looking over here and he does the thing, right? Oh, it's impressive. Is it real magic? No, he's just deceiving you. It's the same manner with false teachers trying to distort the gospel of God, often for their own pecuniary gain and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Right? We hence not forth, we henceforth be no children, tossed to and fro, but we've got a but, right, Elliot? But means we everything that comes before. But instead we speak the truth in love and grow up into him in all things. We grow and we build up so that we are not like that anymore. When we start off as babes in Christ, we don't have much knowledge, we don't have much wisdom, we don't have much love. But we can't stay there. That's the danger, guys, that we cannot just be content to come here on Sunday morning, sit for an hour or whatever, and that just be your full service to the Lord for the week. That ain't good. He bought you all, lock, stock, and barrel, the whole thing. Your soul, your mind, your body, your heart. He gave you a family in your charge to care for, for His glory. He's put you in a church where He wants you to serve. He's put you in a job where He wants you to serve Him. And all things that you do, do it unto the Lord. You should be reflecting His light and His glory in every decision you make. That's the stakes that we're in. This is not something mild, passive. This is not a civic club. 
Right? This is something supernatural. This is something that cannot be described or wrap your head around with your carnal mind. It's bigger than that. All right? We sing the children's song, right? You got the image of, the, of being tossed in the wave. What's the children's song about? I shall not be moved, right? Why won't I be moved? Because I'm like a, what is it? A tree planted by the waters. I shall not be moved, right? You can see that over in, in Psalm 62 and Psalm 1, like a tree planted by the, the, the waters. I'm going to be able to continue to bear fruit regardless of the situations around me because I'm connected and plugged in and planted where my Lord wants me to be in His service. I'm not dependent upon the external stuff of this world for my gratification or any of those other things that I can get twisted off on. Right? And remember all this in James was in the context of trials. That's why I need the wisdom. Because I'm going through trials that are trying my faith. I've got opportunities to be found faithful or I've got opportunities to not. So each decision that we make, it's do I follow the Lord here or do I do something else? Do I serve Him? Or often the question is, do I serve me? I need that wisdom. Give me the wisdom so that I can stand fast, that I can faithfully represent you in all circumstances where I can flee if this temptation that I'm in is because of my own lust of the flesh. Lord, show me that way of escape. He's made a way of escape from every temptation. There's not one that you have that no one else in the world has gone through. They're common to all men, but you have ones that you struggle with and you have ones that you struggle with, but there's a way of escape for all of those that are lust of our flesh. Want that, but flee from it. So that can be the wisdom that we're praying for, not, Lord, help me give in to this and make it feel okay. Right? That's when we're substituting our own desires, our own wants for His wisdom. Give me the wisdom. And James, this concept of wisdom flows throughout the whole book of James. It's looking for that wisdom from above. Not the earthly wisdom, which is uh, is sensual and devilish, but the wisdom from above, which it gives some descriptions of. Wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Right? Now the context in that, it gets into chapter 3. It's it's an admonition about not being, uh, desiring to be uh, a... a teacher of everybody. It says you don't need to be the smartest one in the room about everything because there's a high standard to those who are in that role. That they've got a greater condemnation about not saying anything that's going to cause someone else to stumble. And then it says to discern yourself and for others is the wisdom that you're being put on a pedestal for, that you want to be the top, is your wisdom with bitterness and envy and strife. If that's the case, that's not the wisdom from God. You don't need to be leading the church with that attitude. You'll recognize the wisdom from above because it's pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, easy to go and ask. Kind of like your father is easy to go and be asked. Right? So if you've got... Just think about that. When someone comes and asks us for something, for information, are we being easy to be entreated? I know that was a lot to cover. You got any questions? We've got lunch. Y'all stay for lunch. Well, enjoy. Thank y'all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing?